Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Contagious, book two of the Infected Trilogy, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Contagious is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash contagious. Applebee's. Perry Dossie had never thought normality could seem so surreal or so goddamn uncomfortable. He sat in an Applebee's in Gaylord, Michigan, waiting for his burger to arrive. Kitsch lined the walls. Some top 40 shit played on the sound system. There were tables filled with fat men, fat women, and fat kids. Dew sat to Perry's left. Perry sat across from Claude Baumgartner. Baum had lost the metal brace, but his nose was still a mess. Jens Milner, whose eye remained quite black, sat on Perry's right, across from Dew. Add in Perry's nasty facial cuts, and they looked like a foursome back from a fight club. A fight club that Dew clearly had won, since all he had was a little band-aid on his head. Baum and Milner just sat there, staring at Perry, not saying a word. This was another of Dew's brilliant ideas. Sure, why the hell not? Let's sit down for lunch with a couple of guys I fucked up before I walked into a house and slaughtered a family. Why a lunch like this was so damn normal, it should have been in a fucking Applebee's commercial. I don't get it, Baum said. Why don't we just go to the Jules house? Baum's right hand hovered near his left lapel, next to his tit. Sometimes it rested on the table, sometimes Baum pretended to scratch his chest, and sometimes the hand just hung there in midair. His hand seemed to orbit around the pistol in his shoulder holster. Perry didn't mind so much. He kept his own hand on the table's edge. If Baum made a move, he'd jam the table into the fucker's chest and drive him right to his back. Baum kept staring at Perry, staring with that attitude. It was hard enough to keep things under control without some motherfucker calling you out with his eyes. Perry wanted to smash his face in, but do expected more of him. So Perry would hold it in. For now, anyway. We can't go near the house, Dew said. Murray's orders. That's to keep Mr. Happy here from killing the family, and you know it. We've got the address. Baum and I can go. Like Baum, Milner just kept staring. Didn't anyone teach these CIA guys any manners? No way, Dew said. We can't go near it until Ogden arrives and sends some boys with us. Believe me, Murray was really specific. Seems the new chief of staff has it in for him. If we show our faces at the jewel house before Ogden arrives, Murray is screwed. And if Murray is screwed, he'll make sure everyone at this table is even more screwed. Trust me on that. So we might as well get some grub while we wait. And incidentally, Bomb, if you don't get that hand away from your gun, I'm going to shove it up your ass. The gun or the hand? Baum asked, without taking his eyes off Perry. Both, Deuce said. But I'll surprise you with the order of entry. And quit staring. Jesus, you'd think you two had never sat down to eat with a guy that kicked your ass before. Sure, Milner said. All the time. It's like a regular outing with my buddies back home. Perry smiled at him and held up one hand, waving his fingers toward his palm. Come on the gesture said. 
Let's go. Knock it off, Dossie, Do said. All three of you, just can the shit. Perry's here because he wants to work with us. Ain't that right? Perry nodded. As for you two, Do looked at Baum and Jens in turn. Stop being pussies. This is too important for you guys to be all bitchy because he got the drop on you. Do stared at Baum. Well? Baum kept looking at Perry for a few more seconds, then let out a sigh and shrugged his shoulders. Fuck it, he said. He's not the first prick to break my nose. Deuce let his stare over to Milner. How about you? Milner finally tore his glare away from Perry to return Dew's stare. Your boy here is real bad news, Dew, he said quietly. You could track this guy just by following the trail of corpses. He murders people. They're not people, Perry said. Why couldn't anyone understand that? Save it, Milner said. He's a fucking psycho, Dew, and I'm not eating with him. Jen stood up and dropped his napkin on the plate. Sit your ass down, Milner, Dew said. You got a problem with it, Milner said. Then fire me. Otherwise, I'll be in the car. He turned and walked out of Applebee's. Perry looked down at his plate. Was Milner right? Was he just a psycho? No. Those people were not people at all. They were infected. They had to die. All the infected had to die. Don't sweat it, Perry, Dew said. He'll come around. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. Perry didn't give a shit what two peons thought. But maybe he should. Dew seemed to think their opinion was important. If Dew thought it mattered, well then, it mattered. Oatmeal. Chelsea squirted the lighter fluid all over the kitchen. Daddy was crumpling up newspapers into big balls. He crumpled, then Mommy squirted them with her can of lighter fluid and put them into the kitchen cupboards. Family time was really fun. Daddy, are you sure there aren't any guns in Mr. Burkle's truck? Daddy nodded. Chelsea wondered if Daddy knew what he was talking about. Mr. Burkle would be awake in a few hours, and then Chelsea could ask him personally. Daddy, why don't we have any guns? Why would you want guns, honey? Daddy said. Are, are you going to shoot me? Chelsea sighed. Now she understood why sometimes Mommy used the you're-so-stupid voice on Daddy. Of course she wasn't going to shoot him. Why would she shoot someone who had the dollies? Well, Daddy, Chauncey says we need guns, so go buy some. We can't just go buy them, honey, Mommy said. There's like a waiting period or something, right, Bobby? Daddy nodded. Chelsea frowned. Well, you two need to find guns. If you don't, you're going to have to punish each other. Daddy shook his head. Chelsea, baby, I don't want to hit your mom with a spoon again. Don't make me do that. Please, Mommy said. No more. And we need to figure out where we're going to go. Chelsea, honey, are you sure we have to set the house on fire? Mommy, Chelsea said. If you ask me that just one more time, you get the spanky spoon for sure. I'm sorry, Mommy said in a fast whisper. I'm sorry, honey, I won't ask again. 
Not another word, Chelsea said. Daddy crumpled the newspapers faster. Chelsea squirted a bunch of the smelly fluid under the fridge. Would the fridge burn? She wished she could stay and watch, but Chauncey said they needed to leave. Daddy snapped his fingers. Mark Jenkins, he's got guns, pistols and hunting rifles. He's got everything. So go get them, Chelsea said. Honey, Mommy said quietly, he's not going to just give them to us. We have to figure out how to take them. Chelsea thought on this for a minute. She sensed that Mommy didn't really need the spoon anymore. Mommy was different from Daddy. Mommy was a protector, like Chelsea, which meant that Mommy could... Mommy, stick out your tongue. Mommy did. Chelsea looked close. Mommy had dozens of pretty little blue triangles on her tongue. Information flooded Chelsea's brain. Each of those triangles held thousands of little crawlers, ready to shoot out, shoot into someone else. That's how Chelsea had given God's love to Mommy. And now Mommy was ready to give it to other people. Mommy, can you give Mr. Jenkins smoochies, like I gave you? Daddy smiled. (laughs) That would work. He's got the hots for you, Candy. Mommy glared at Daddy. It was the you're-so-stupid glare that usually went with the you're-so-stupid voice. Well, Chelsea said, can you do it, Mommy? I... I guess I could. Mommy sounded sad and excited all at the same time. She had sad eyes when she looked at Daddy, but Chelsea could feel her excitement at the thought of spreading God's love. Mommy cleared her throat. How long will it take after I... after I give him smoochies? He'll get sleepy pretty quick, Chelsea said. You may have to be with him for an hour, but then Chauncey says he'll feel sick and want to go to sleep, just like Mr. Burkle the postman. Can you do that, Mommy? Can you get Mr. Jenkins to play for an hour after smoochies? Yes, honey, Mommy said. I think I know a way to get Mr. Jenkins to play for an hour, then go to sleep. Well, get going, Slowpoke. I'll stay here and watch Daddy. Mommy looked at Daddy. I guess this is how it has to be. He nodded. Now he looked sad. Mommy got her coat and left the house. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story. 
Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Things were changing for Chelsea. Changing fast. She had no frame of reference to truly understand what was happening to her, what was happening around her. The Orbital knew this and put it to use. Her simplicity and lack of experience made her a powerful tool. Chelsea was moldable. The Orbital had to prepare her for the worst-case scenario, its own destruction. Every day, the probability of an attack increased. Should something happen to the Orbital, it had to ensure that Chelsea could still complete the objective. The orbital could change her brain, make the fibers reproduce, fill in the spaces between brain cells, and increase her computing power and intelligence. It could make her a focal point of communication. But all the processing power and communication ability wouldn't help if she couldn't think for herself. The orbital had to turn Chelsea Jewell into a leader. Chelsea sat on her bed, thinking. The kitchen was too smelly. So was the living room. Daddy had used a whole can of gasoline in there, said it would burn real nice. Chelsea, the bad guys may come for you soon. Oh, Chelsea said. That's why we're burning the house, right? So they won't find us. Yes, but they will also come for the others. Others? What others, Chauncey? The others like you, like Daddy. Chelsea hopped off her bed. She wanted to dance. There were other people like her? How exciting! She started to spin in circles. Where are they, Chauncey? How do I find them? You need to make them come to you. You have the power to find them with your mind. Can I talk to them like I talk to you? Not the same way. Not yet. But you can send simple messages. We will start by you talking to me with your mind, not your mouth. Chelsea stopped spinning and closed her eyes. Yes, Chauncey. Good. Now reach out. Use your thoughts. Reach out and find them. Chelsea thought. She reached out. What a funny feeling. She felt her consciousness expanding, spreading. She sensed Mommy first. Then Mr. Burkle, the postman, although it was harder to sense him. He wasn't as strong as Mommy. Chelsea sensed Daddy next. Actually, she sensed the dollies inside Daddy. Oh, how fun. They were growing so fast. Keep trying. More. Find more. You must become stronger. Chelsea took a deep breath and let it out slow. She pushed. It felt... Slippery. Her mind reached out and made contact. 
several contacts. Ryan Rosnowski. He had dollies, although he suspected that his wife was going to call the police soon. Chelsea couldn't let that happen. Mr. Beckett had dollies, too, and old Sam Collins, and a woman named Bernadette Smith, and, and, Beck Beckett, Mr. Beckett's son. Beck felt different. Not like Daddy or Mr. Beckett. Chelsea knew Beck from school, even though he was a grade ahead. Thoughts of Beck made Chelsea angry. She didn't know why. I have found five, Chauncey. What do I do now? Tell them to come to where you are. Tell them to bring guns. Chelsea nodded. She did what Chauncey asked. But why was Beck coming if he didn't have dollies? What good was he? Chauncey? Beck Beckett isn't like Daddy. Touching him feels like touching Mommy. But I didn't give Beck smoochies. That is because he received God's love directly from me, just like you did. The dollies are very, very important. But people like you and Beck will protect them. Chelsea suddenly felt mad. Did Chauncey like Beck more than her? Would Beck be Chauncey's favorite? Are you talking to him? Yes, but it is taking him longer to develop. Chauncey was Chelsea's special friend, not Beck Butthead Beckett's. Her anger grew. What do we do now? You have to start learning to think for yourself, Chelsea. Let me show you a new pretty picture. Chelsea waited. Her mind still felt funny, like it was in many places at one time. Slippery? Was that the right word? No, more like mushy, like lumpy oatmeal. Ah, the lumps were the people she connected with. An image exploded in Chelsea's thoughts. A gorgeous image, unlike anything she'd ever known. Like Four lit-up hula hoops buried halfway in the ground, a big one at the end, three smaller ones behind it. And pointing away from the smallest hula hoop, two big logs. The dollies would make this. Oh, Chauncey, it's the prettiest thing I've ever seen. What is it? When Mommy and Daddy take you to church, do they tell you about heaven? Oh, yes. The preacher talks about God and heaven and Jesus and how Jesus loves us no matter what. This image you see, Chelsea, is a door to heaven. She felt joy in her chest. Really? This is really a door to heaven? You will protect the dollies so they can build it. When they open it, Chelsea, angels will come through. Angels? Really? Will they have wings? They are not nice angels, Chelsea. They are angels of vengeance. What's vengeance mean? They are coming to punish people who have been bad. Do you like bad people, Chelsea? She shook her head. She most certainly did not like bad people. Chelsea, I will not always be here to help you. Chelsea, you can't leave. You're my special friend. I'm not leaving yet, but maybe soon. So you need to think for yourself. If you must help the dollies build this gate to heaven... How can you make that happen faster? Chelsea thought. This was like school. She had to help the dollies build the gate to heaven. Only a special girl could do such a thing, but Jesus loved her. The Bible said so. 
she could do it. But how to make it build faster? Well, she needed... We need more dollies and, and more chosen people to protect them. That's right, Chelsea. And how could you find more dollies? The answer came quicker this time. I need to search farther. Chelsea pushed her thoughts. The oatmeal spread. She sensed dollies out in many, many places. They were too far apart to come together, and she needed many to build the gate. She needed, she needed at least 33 dollies. Chauncey hadn't told her that number, and yet she knew it. How? She searched her thoughts. The number seemed to come from the dollies. Was that what Chauncey meant by thinking for herself? She could do this on her own. She could make Chauncey proud. Chelsea pushed further. More hits, more dollies, and something else. Something dark. Something mean. Her breath came faster. She couldn't move. It was like a dream. One of the nightmares when the boogeyman came for her, and she ran, and then she fell, and she couldn't get up, and the boogeyman was coming, and he had that sharp knife, and he was going to stab it in her back, but it couldn't be a dream, and she was awake. This thing, this monster, this giant monster was going to get her. No. She meant to scream the word, but it came out a hoarse whisper, so quiet she could barely hear it herself. No, no, no. Chelsea, stop. Do not connect to him. The boogeyman, she hissed. Chauncey, the boogeyman is real. Chelsea, stop. The connection broke. Chelsea blinked, then sucked in a big breath. Her whole body shook. Her pants were hot and wet. She'd peed herself. Do not connect with that one. He is the destroyer. He wants to stop us, Chelsea. He wants to hurt you. You must remember what that one feels like. Recognize it and never connect with him again. She nodded. She knew the destroyer was evil. She'd felt it. Chelsea got off her bed and looked down. Her pants were soaked with pee-pee. She felt her face flush red. She'd wet herself. She was a big girl, and that wasn't supposed to happen anymore. She'd peed herself because of the boogeyman. The fear hadn't left, but Chelsea Jewell started to feel the first embers of other emotions. The embers of rage. The embers of hate. Perry sat very still. He waited for the feeling to return. It did not. A tear in the grayness, brief but painfully intense, like listening to quiet static on headphones only to be shocked by an unexpected blast of screeching feedback so loud it made your ears ring for days. But it wasn't noise, and he hadn't heard it with his ears. It was an emotion. Fear. Pure terror. Rich and undistilled by logic or rationality. He'd felt it in his soul. He still felt an echo of that fear. So pure. He hadn't experienced anything like that since... since he was a little boy. A little boy so afraid of the shadows under the bed that he couldn't move, couldn't look, sure that whatever was under there would grab him and pull him down forever and ever. But now, he wasn't afraid of the thing under the bed. He was 
the thing under the bed. By any means necessary, Corporal Cope drove Charlie Ogden's Humvee out of the back of the C-17 Globemaster and into the winter night. Didn't have to go far. Just off the edge of the runway, a black Lincoln waited. Four men were standing outside it. Even from a distance, there was no mistaking the size of Perry Dossie. Ogden tapped Cope on the shoulder and pointed to the Lincoln. Seconds later, Ogden hopped out in front of Dew, Perry, and two other men Ogden didn't know. Colonel, Dew said, shaking hands. Dossie didn't offer his hand, and if he had, Ogden probably wouldn't have shaken it. The other two men just stood there, respectfully silent. A damn shame about Amos, Ogden said. Please convey my condolences to Margaret. I will, Dew said. Status report. No problem so far, Dew said. State troopers have shut down all off-ramps to Gaylord from highways I-75 and 32. They have a dozen troopers at each on-ramp administering the swab test. Traffic's backing up a bit, but it's not bad. Any positive tests? Dew shook his head. So far, so good. The cops have people waiting to go over area maps with you, suggest the best places for roadblocks. What about reports of violence? Ogden asked. Any of these bastards fighting? Dew again shook his head. Nothing reported. Gaylord police can't believe how smoothly it's going, but I guess the small town rumor mill has been spreading stories of the body the postman found. Tack on the news coverage talking about what necrotizing fasciitis can do, people are only too happy to cooperate, get the test, and get the hell out of Dodge. Ogden nodded. He'd come to expect smooth sailing out of a Murray Longworth cover story. The slimy bastard knew his shit. I understand that you need men, Ogden said. How many and for what? Eight should cover it, Dew said. Those bodies they found in Bay City? Guy's name was Donald Jewell. He was probably here visiting his brother, Bobby Jewell, age 33. We have to go bring Bobby in. Bobby have family in the house? Wife Candace, also 33. Daughter Chelsea, seven. That's it. Stay right here, Ogden said. I'll send a full squad. Nine men instead of eight. Acceptable? Dew nodded. Ogden walked closer to Dew and talked quietly so that only Dew could hear. Murray said we need to watch out for Dossie going apeshit, Ogden said. My men have orders to stop him from doing anything stupid. I'll load them up with tasers, but if push comes to shove, they will take Dossie down by any means possible. You gonna shoot him, Colonel? If I have to, Ogden said. So make sure it doesn't come to that. Beck Beckett, third grader. Chelsea watched the last car drive down her long, winding, dirt driveway. She watched that car very carefully, just as she had the last three. She pushed her thoughts out, wondering if this car might bring the boogeyman. She could tell that the boogeyman was very close, maybe even in Gaylord. And he would kill her unless she could kill him first. Chelsea hated the boogeyman. She let out a long, slow breath as she connected. He wasn't in that car. The car stopped behind the other vehicles. Two people got out, a man and a boy. 
it was a good thing she'd called everyone here. Mr. Beckett had a blue triangle on his cheek. Another one peeked out from beneath his collar, just the point visible past the neckline of his sweater. Beck Beckett looked fine. He was a third grader at South Maple Elementary, the same place where Chelsea was a second grader. Beck was older. People might listen to him. She couldn't have that. Daddy went out and shook hands with Mr. Beckett, then led him into the house. Beck followed along. The front door led into the kitchen, where Daddy and the Becketts joined old Sam Collins, Ryan Rosnowski, and Ryan's wife, Marie. Marie was dead, but that was okay. Mr. Beckett waved his hand in front of his face. Whoa, he said. Someone leave the stove on? Hello, Mr. Beckett, Chelsea said. Welcome. Mr. Beckett stopped waving his hand when he saw her. Hello, Chelsea. It's an honor. The change in his voice was so funny. Grown-ups used to talk to her like a kid. Now they sounded like they were kids, and she was the grown-up. Thank you, Mr. Beckett. Sorry about the smell. We had to get some things ready for God. Why are you using your mouth? She looked at Beck. He was smiling at her. It wasn't a nice smile, either. You think you're so smart, Chelsea thought back. You better realize that God loves me the most. Beck nodded. For now. We have to get out of Gaylord, Chelsea said. Daddy thinks they will come for us. That's just stupid, Beck said. How would they know to come to your house? The adults seemed to freeze in place, as if they were afraid to breathe. They all had wide eyes. Don't you call me stupid, Chelsea said. You're in my house. It's not your house, Beck said. It's God's house. We should stay right here until the hatching. We're leaving, Chelsea said. You do what you're told. Beck Beckett was going to get such a spanking. Mr. Beckett took a step forward. Maybe, maybe we should listen to Beck, Chelsea. He is older, after all. Mr. Beckett would have to be spanked, too. That was okay. She'd planned for that all along, but it made her feel better to know that Mr. Beckett deserved it. Mr. Beckett is a spy, Chelsea hissed. So is Beck. Mr. Beckett's face blanched. No, no, Chelsea, we're not spies. Shut up, Dad, Beck said. Mr. Beckett looked at his son, then took a step back. Beck smiled again. God doesn't want us to argue, little Chelsea, he said. We're not spies, and we're going to stay here. Chelsea smiled her sweetest smile. You want to stay here? Okay, Beck. You can stay as long as you like. She took a quick, deep breath, then thought as hard as she could. Get them! It was Beck's turn to widen his eyes. Chelsea knew why. She was much, much stronger than he was. He hadn't realized how much stronger. And now, it was too late. Daddy stepped up and kneed Mr. Beckett where it counts. Mr. Beckett let out a painful groaning noise and fell to the floor. Old Sam Collins ran up and kicked Mr. Beckett in the face over and over again as Daddy pulled a knife out of the knife drawer and fell on Mr. Beckett. Kick, stab. Kick, stab. Kick, stab. Mr. Beckett screamed, but that was okay. Beck shook his head 
as if he didn't want to believe what he was seeing. He turned to run, but Mr. Osnowski tackled him from behind. Chelsea heard Beck's mental scream. Stop it! God, save me! Chelsea, what are you doing? Mr. Osnowski held Beck's head on the linoleum floor and started kneeing him in the face. It made a weird crunching sound. He was dangerous, Chauncey. We need him. Stop this right now. You're not the boss of me, Chauncey, Chelsea said. Beck still kicked a little after the third knee in his face. He twitched after the fourth. He stopped altogether after the fifth. Mr. Osnowski stood up. Beck's face looked very funny. Then Daddy stood, covered in Mr. Beckett's blood. Old Sam Collins was limping. Looked like he'd hurt his foot kicking Mr. Beckett in the face. Chelsea, I am God. You must obey me. She shook her head. I'm a big girl now, Chauncey. Beck was dangerous. It's for the best. Someday, you'll understand. That was a lie, of course. Beck wasn't dangerous, but Chauncey might have loved Beck more than her. Chauncey was Chelsea's special friend. With Beck gone, it would stay that way forever and ever. Okay, everybody, Chelsea said. Time to go play at Mr. Jenkins' house. Someone make two trips so we can get rid of Mr. Beckett's car. Mommy, you can take me in a snowmobile. Daddy, you clean up here and then come over on a snowmobile too, okay? Yes, Chelsea, Daddy said. Chelsea, Mr. Osnowski, and old Sam Collins got their coats and walked out the front door, while Daddy got the box of matches. You have been listening to Contagious, book two of the Infected Trilogy, written by Scott Sigler, performed by the author, produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.